Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, we'll hear from Mary Alice Bennett, former APHA, past president. But first, do you help patients with diabetes select their pin needles? And have you recommended the UltiGuard Safe Pack yet? When you dispense UltiMed's Pin Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, you promote safe sharps disposal. This protects families in your community from sharps injuries, removes medical waste from the environment, and can reduce the harmful reuse of needles. Your selection can make a difference. To learn more about UltiMed's Pin Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, visit ultiguardsafepack.com/podcast. UltiGuardSafePack.com slash podcast. U-L-T-I-G-U-A-R-D-S-A-F-E-P-A-C-K dot com slash podcast. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Mary Alice Bennett, is a professor emerita from pharmacy practice and science and a former residency director for the ambulatory and community care residency programs at the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. She served as a co-founder and pharmacy director of University Health Connection, an innovative interprofessional healthcare clinic for faculty and staff of the university. And she currently works with the APHA and ASHP to advance community-based pharmacy practice and community-based residency programs. And she is a graduate from the the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. Uh, Professor Bennett is recognized as a practice innovator and an agent of change, and she was among the first clinical pharmacists to practice at the OSU Medical Center. Her practice team's contribution to the development of both the OSU College of Pharmacy clinical partners and the OSU University Health Connection resulted in 2005 and 2006 ASHP Best Practice Awards. She also received the 1999 APHA Daniel B. Smith Practice Excellent Award for her contributions to practice and the 2011 OPA Beal Award for Lifetime Contributions to Pharmacy. Uh, In addition to um, Lifetime Achievement Awards through OSU and the Bowl of Hygieia Award for Service to the Community. She has been involved with several national practice-based research projects, including Project Impact, the Hyperlipidemia and Patient Self-Management Diabetes, and has contributed to numerous projects and tools to develop MTM, as well as frequently speaking and publishing on practice innovation. Uh, she loves to teach and to mentor uh, Dr. Bennett uh, strives to bring innovation and inspiration to all learners. And over the past 30 years, she has contributed to the advancement of community residencies nationally and leaves a legacy of cutting edge PGY1 and PGY2 programs at OSU. She's been blessed to have mentored over 100 residents and students during her career and is honored to be the recipient of several teaching awards and uh, community practice uh, residency excellence and precepting awards, as well as the APHA Gloria Nehemiah Frankie Leadership Mentoring Award. So lots of teaching and mentoring contributions. Um, 
And last but not least, he has also served APHA very well and is one of uh, the former APHA presidents uh, from the 2011 and 2012 tenure, uh, as well as serving on the APPM uh, and board of trustees and other numerous task forces, panels, etc. Mary Alice, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, we, you know, now that our listeners have heard a bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a bit about your personal life. So I would say that I do have a a unique balance of my personal life and my career. Uh, Starting in pharmacy, I graduated from the College of Pharmacy in 1969. So it was a time when um, not only were there not many women in practice, um, it was also a time when clinical pharmacy uh, was just getting its start in, in the hospital setting. And so I just happened to be at Ohio State during a really magical time. Um, when I was around these amazing uh, visionary and mentors that uh, um, helped helped me uh, learn how to, I guess in many ways, helped me have the opportunity to to create some of those services at at OSU, which really laid a strong foundation uh, for my career. But I came up through the era when uh, feminism was, was also starting. And so I always say I, 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 I couldn't win. You know, if I, if I went to work, I was a terrible mother. And if I stayed home, I was, I was a terrible woman. Um, and so mm-hmm. it was, a, it, it was a, a, a different sort of time to try to integrate uh, family and, and career. And so um, I really felt like I made a huge investment in my career early, early on before I had children and had the opportunity mm-hmm. to lean out of it. Um, but still practice part-time and uh, practice in environments uh, and teach at Ohio State um, during those years when I was raising my children and then lean back in once my children went to college. So I, I think I had a rather unique path and, and, and worked out that balance that I was looking for. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited today that I think women have the choice um, you're a good you're a good mom if you stay at home, and you're, you're a good woman if you go to work. And so you just figure out what what works for you, and and it's much more of a blessed, um, I think, way of life uh, in these days than it was back um, back in those days. So I'm really glad to see those changes uh, that have happened uh, as I can see it through, throughout my career. Uh, not to say that women don't don't really work hard to make make that balance work, but I think that. Uh, you know, if dad wants to stay home and raise the kids, that's an okay thing to do. If everybody wants to work part-time, that's an okay thing to do. Everything, everybody finds out a way to, to work it out to make the balance work. Uh, and I think that's really exciting to see and exciting to see men um, sharing it in some of those uh, um, child-rearing and, and home-centered things that um, have traditionally been uh, carried only by women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And as a new mom, that certainly is resonating with me. Um, so Mary Alice, let's maybe first kind of talk a little bit about um, what are some of the, the past and current barriers to women in leadership? So I would, I would say more so in the past, but probably still present is there is conscious and unconscious bias uh, looking at women for being leaders. Uh, in the traditional sense, I think when a woman was assertive, she was considered to be aggressive. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that that's totally gone from the environment. I think uh, uh, so. Women are perceived uh, 
differently. I think appearance plays a much larger role in women with the bias and the conscious and unconscious bias. So I think that's still there in the workplace. Um, but then I also think women um, still still lack a little bit of the mentality to pursue leadership. Um, they uh, don't put that as a, a, a as a as a goal typically. Um, you know, if they look at a job description and they can only do two thirds of it, they're not going to apply for it. Where typically a man will. Um, and women are always considering, uh, I think, when they're going to have a family and and uh, how that might impact how they what route they choose uh, to go into leadership. Uh, and I I think they also don't still have the internal and external networks that that men have traditionally had that, that give you that pathway into leadership. So I think partly the, the environment is certainly improving. Um, I think women's attitudes toward becoming leaders and having those goals has certainly, uh, has certainly grown. Uh, I think women are still needing to develop the networks and the, and the skill set uh, to give them um, that feeling that they can be a leader and, and to really go for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and what would be some additional advice that you might share uh, for how women today might be able to overcome some of those barriers? So I, you know, I spent a lot of time mentoring residents uh, as they were looking into careers and had lots of great career opportunities. Uh, and one of the things that I would, I would notice would be that one of the exercises we would do would, where do you want to be in five years? And mm-hmm. I would always see that, that women being torn, you know, I, I really want to go this route. I have this big dream and I, I want to go for that. But, you know, I, I want to have a family and I don't know how that's going to fit into that. And I'd say, oh, gosh, I didn't know you had a boyfriend, you know. So they're making decisions for five years from now when there's not a, a direct path even, even for those relationships to be there. So making decisions based on something that isn't there. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that you grab all you can get. Uh, especially before you have children, you get yourself established, uh, you get your reputation established, you get your skill set built, uh, and it opens up doors for you to maybe lean out for a little bit or to shift more entrepreneurially into something that fits into your lifestyle. So building that strong foundation. Um, so as I always say, getting as much as you can get at, at the beginning to, to, to build that foundation, I think is is really critical. And then I, and I think being willing to take risks. So uh, I, the entrepreneur route for me opened up a lot of doors for me to be able to work that, you know, that work-life integration piece in because as the more entrepreneurial you get, the more you can work your career around your family's needs. And that shifts. Um, so when mm-hmm. you're looking for that balance, uh, um, you might figure it out and, and then you're into elementary school and then you get that figured out and then you're into high school. Um, you get that figured out and all of a sudden you're an empty nester. And so it's continually changing. And so I think finding flexible uh, roles, and many of those are in the entrepreneurial world. And boy, I'm seeing a lot of women do some really creative things uh, to to create that balance and to to go into arenas where uh, they can really use the skills they've been trained in our modern day curriculum in in pharmacy school as well. So I think that's really exciting. I see concierge type services. I see telehealth. You know, I think COVID is probably going to open up a lot of doors for telehealth that will linger on well after the pandemic is over. And that opens up the door for you to work from home and to set your own hours. Uh, So I think looking for that flexibility and um, 
I'm looking for that balance uh, helps as well. But always, just always knowing as soon as, soon as you master it, it changes, <laughs> it moves on to another another format. Um, and I also think it's really important for women to network. And I think that's one thing. Women, you know, work hard. Um, they have great ideas. Uh, they don't always bring them to the table. Um, they don't always like, lean into their ideas uh, to help create the possibilities. And so I think networking internally and externally from your organization and finding those allies and champions um, to help you um, increase your confidence and give you exposure and help you to get out there to say yes to challenging, challenging tasks when they, when they come up and that you're actually at the table to be able to say yes to those challenging tasks, which then open the doors up for you to have more leadership roles. Um, so I think being present in the moment you're in, you know, whatever that moment is, uh, and uh, leaning into it and, and being willing to take some risks and possibly looking for some entrepreneurial type opportunities um, in those years when you're really trying to integrate um, uh, your lifestyle and your work style. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, and I love that grab all you can get. And that that resonates as well since um, my husband and I waited a, a bit um, after we got married. We were married five years before we had our first baby. And yeah, so I was, was out practicing pharmacy. I um, was fortunate to kind of go straight through with Ole Miss's early entry program. So I got out at a pretty early age and and had about 10 years to really focus on my career before starting a family. And so that um, is some great advice. But then, of course, there were plenty of uh, mamas in my class. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was equally impressive. Yes. Very, well, even more impressive um, with me just, you know, having to go to school. <laughs> and now that I'm a mom, I'm like, wow, how did they do that? Um, so it's... It's amazing. Um, just, you know, uh, mamas and, and just women uh, are just so uh, amazing and lots of great uh, recommendations on how um, women can do that, uh, overcome those barriers, networking, et cetera. So, you know, I always used to say you can have it all, but I don't know that you can have it all at once. Mm -hmm. And there's a new saying that I like better than that. You can't always mm -hmm. have it all, but you can have what you value. And I, yeah. think, I think that's, so you really need to step back and mm -hmm. say, what, you know, what are my priorities in life? And that, that's going to be mm -hmm. different for you than it is for me, that it is going to be the next person. But if you, if you can really say what's most important to me, what do I value? And that's what I want in my life. And if you mm -hmm. keep those priorities in line, um, I, I think you, that you can find a lot of joy in life. And I, I know for me, as I, as I came up, I, you know, my faith, my family, my career were my priorities. Um, mm -hmm. And if I, if I juggle those up and if I pulled some, something else creeped in that started to take up my time, I was not a happy mm -hmm. person. And if I'm not a happy yeah. person, most of the people around me aren't a happy person either. Uh, mm -hmm. and so I think, I think that assessing what your values are and, and living by those values is, is, is really, really important for you, for you to find joy and, and for you to find stability. I actually read where it said that it didn't matter how many hours um, a parent worked, but when they came home with, they were happy. That was what was really critical. Mm. Um, so, mm. uh, so again, it's that if you're loving your work and you bring that joy home with you, uh, uh, and interact with your family when you're full of joy at the end of the day, 
um, that makes such a big difference. So it's, I think it's finding that, that value prioritization and, and living it that w- it can really make the difference in, in, uh, in balancing your life. Yes. Wow. And, and you, I mean, you can just hear, I can see why so many students and residents just flock to you, um, for that mentoring and teaching. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about how you just have, have naturally kind of fallen into being, being that mentor and and role model for others. So I, I feel like I feel so indebted to the mentors that I had, they made such a huge impact on my life early in my career uh, that I definitely always wanted to give that back. And I also saw the value to the profession of mentoring. Uh, So you have leaders that are visionary and we need those people to move practice forward. And you have leaders who are strong mentors and and they, they provide the the workforce that has the energy to move those visions forward. So you really need that influence. Um, and at some point in my career, I, I, I feel like I recognize that, you know, I think of a leader as being somebody who you have a vision and you influence people to buy into that vision. And I recognize that a mentor sees your vision and helps you implement that vision into the world. So the, I, to me, a difference between a leader and a mentor is, what the vision is. If I'm a leader, I'm implementing my vision. If I'm a mentor, I'm helping you to implement your vision. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, so I, I feel like I recognized how important that was to keep people in pharmacy, to help pharmacy stay alive mm-hmm. and energized, and, and to move forward um, was to be able to mentor uh, people. And I will tell you, the joy of that is, is that you get to spend, you know a small part of the journey with someone, you walk it for a short period of time and then they go off and they do things that I never even dreamed or imagined. And you can just cheer them on from the sidelines. Um, and it's just, it's just absolutely so fulfilling uh, to be able to be connected to people in that way. Um, so I, I think it's uh, very self-fulfilling and I think it really impacts the profession. So I feel it's really mm-hmm. important for all of us to think about who we mentor. Mm-hmm. And I would say yeah. one of the things I learned as a, as a professor was that you make an impact when you don't realize it. So remembering somebody's name from the classroom and seeing them in the hall and using their name or um, mm-hmm. some comment, you know, once you will, you'll hear people parrot back to you one comment you made that you don't ever remember ever making. And it had such an impact on your life. So I believe that wherever we are, we have the power to influence people without, you know, knowingly or unknowingly. And we have to be really in tune. We have to be very present um, because that is a really powerful thing. Um, it impacts people's lives. It impacts healthcare. It impacts our patients. It, you know, it, it makes such a big difference if we become, I guess, less focused on ourselves and thinking more about what we do and say and how impactful it might be without us even realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're so grateful that you've had such an impact on so many uh, pharmacy students and residents along the way. I know that they will be singing your praises uh, as well. So Mary Alice, how did community practice become your passion? So as I said, I started in, in hospital 
practice. I was an intern at OSU and I was there at a very magical time and the door just opened for me to be able to be one of the first clinical pharmacists. Um, and as we moved into the, into the uh, 70s and 80s, uh, the concept of pharmaceutical care began to emerge and we're looking at really shifting those concepts of clinical pharmacy into the community world where I always say it's, you know, it's where the patient lives, lives and works and plays and prays. It's, you know, so you're part of their community, you're part of their, you're part of their life and you're integrated in, in helping them to take care of themselves and really during their activities of daily living. Uh, and so as the concept of pharmaceutical care uh, starting to be a buzzword and started to evolve, I, I really saw that my passion was um, in working with the patient. So th that mm -hmm. shift from um, influencing more physicians in the hospital setting, it's shifting it to influencing patients more. Um, and I really, I love the community environment and the interaction that you could have with patients um, and really began to see the opportunities that were there to have more involvement in helping helping people make the best use of their medications and to stay well with chronic disease states. Um, and so the influence that I had in my clinical pharmacy days and seeing how that could be um, reshaped into the community world uh, was highly influenced actually by one of my mentors at Ohio State. Um, we always talk about Cliff Lachelet and uh, everybody jokes, but it was really true. If he, you know, if you have a conversation with him, he says, you know, I think you th should think about doing this. You think, you don't, you don't want to let go of that because the next time he sees you, he's going to ask you how you're doing with that. And he had actually said, Mary Alice, you need to switch this. You need to get this into the ambulatory and community care world. And I knew he'd follow up and want to know what I was doing about that. So that was part of my inspiration as well. Yeah. Wow. So exciting. And so Mary Alice is our final question. I'd love to ask, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for others out there who are just getting started in their career? So I would say the sky's the limit. You know, I think the biggest thing that limits us is ourselves. It's that self-talk that we have. Someone mentioned, used the word, the narrator in our head. I think the narrator in our head gets in the way of us more than anything. Uh, and so I think it just, you know, being willing to say yes to challenging tasks, being able to mm -hmm. take risks um, and, and to, to move into something um, that you have, that you feel passion and joy about, uh, not not let people around you, um, not let situations uh, hold you back. Uh, you know, and, and even that even that feeling that you may don't have every skill set that you need. Um, the biggest piece is saying yes to something that's challenging, and then just tackling it. I always used to tell residents, "How do you eat an elephant?" When they look at me, and I say, "You eat an <laughs> elephant one bite at a time," and that's how you how you take on something. Uh, something new. So if you're just willing to yeah. say yes and take that first bite um, uh -huh. and find where your passion is and follow it. Uh, and then when you get into the tough times, you know, you always want to do the next right thing. Uh, and, and, and I always tell people, then go out and celebrate. Um, because I feel like we just rush from one thing to the next and we don't pause and celebrate enough of the successes um, those can be the everyday successes. Uh, it, we need to celebrate the little things. Uh, we need we need to continue to find that joy in our lives to keep going. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, I enjoyed being here, and I wish you great success in in your balancing act. 
Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.